we're really good at communicating with each other. So we would always check in with each other and ask, like, how are you feeling about this? Is there anything you want to try? Do you want to get started with treatments? And we just always are good at checking in and asking how each other, how we're feeling throughout this process. And so I think that's super important if your partner, if it's one or the other, sometimes it can be both, but if it's one person over the other to make sure that they know that you don't blame them for any of that. Hey guys, welcome back to Parties Over Podcast. I'm Ashley. And I'm Liz. And for those of you guys that might be new here, we haven't done this in a while, so uh, we are a post-grad podcast, but at this point we're getting a little far from post-grad ourselves personally, Uh, but the goal of this podcast is really to help you be an adult. True. Like, Parties Over lives on because, like, I'm about to turn 25, so I feel like the party is over on my early 20s and you know what I mean there's like always something you have to advance and then the young self is over right no I agree I think the party is just like could be over at all all points of life so just so everyone knows like the it's not really over like we still have fun really what our goal is is to I feel like we have a few different areas it's to educate inspire and have open conversations about topics that are you know relevant to people in their 20s and or I mean 30s if you're in people all adult at different ages so you could be in your 50s and I hope you're listening I know dads that are in their 50s that listen to the podcast so like really gender and age do not discriminate here but not at all but speaking of gender it is officially women's history month oh we love the women and we love the history. We have some really great women coming on the podcast this month. So we're excited to share these episodes with you guys. Okay, so also a few things separate from this. What do we think about the whole side part in skinny jean thing? Skinny jean thing that's like, I, I mean, have, I've already heard about it, but it's blowing up. I have a lot of comments. First, I love a middle part. I love a middle part. I think you have to be, you know, the right fit to have a middle part. I cannot have a middle part, so I'm salty, okay, you guys? I have a cowlick. I cannot change my hairline. I have tried, okay? It's over for me. And also, I am so short that if I wear flare jeans, I look shorter and I look bigger. So Wait, hold on. I, just... I thought it was referring to, like, mom jeans. Did not know it was referring to flare jeans. Oh, have you seen the jean that is like super in right now it, it's not really flare I mean, I but it do, like goes but I out. didn't know that we were so it's not a strict like flare jean thing it's just not skinny jeans correct oh. Oh, I'm totally fine if it includes mom jeans and it's like I'm okay, hoping it includes mom jeans if it includes if it's just flare jeans we have a whole different issue you want to know what would be really bad if they canceled high-waisted jeans I'm done after that it I'm done happen. it really could it's they tried it a little bit but I think honestly we all bullied them into no I'm just kidding I don't care what we think we're too old for them but I'm not doing the low waist I mean I'm on board with the middle part thing depends on the time I feel like my hair is current actually can we cut this I just want to say if everyone has a middle part why do we all want to look the exact same why can't everyone just part their hair the way that looks best for them wow listen to you 
I'm so serious. Like, why does everyone want to look the exact same? It's no fun. That I mean, way. I get what they're saying. They're just like reminding everyone that they're not cool anymore, which is fine. Anyhow, I, I thought we might have some feelings. I would love to see what your middle part would look like in theory. Look at my hair. You literally can't, you can't get it to go there. Like, it's not an option. Well, honestly, though, you're very lucky because I would love some volume. You have, like, permanent volume right there. So consider yourself blessed. Uh, Okay, guys, sorry. We are just here reporting the hard-hitting facts of the world (laughs) going on. (laughs) Uh, So today we are recording with uh, someone that we're very excited to introduce to you guys. Her name is Emily, and she is going to talk to us today about her journey with infertility and this has been a topic we have been really wanting to cover for quite some time Uh, we've had a lot of requests for female motherly type fertility episodes that was a broad definition but we've had a lot of different requests just trying to cover this topic I think as people start to get into their mid-20s it starts to become a really a topic that people start to think about I think a lot like a lot of people our age don't go out of their way to learn about this stuff until they're ready to have kids and then until it's a problem that they have or until something until they need to learn about it like no one knows about it in advance unless they know someone who goes through it right on this episode we're going to talk about not only what emily and just bring awareness to like infertility on a personal level in case it's something that you end up dealing with one day in your life uh but really We're going to talk about it so you are equipped to support your friends that may be going through it someday as well. And, you know, what to say, what not to say, and how to be there for someone. And uh, also just to know that if this is yourself or a friend that is going through this, that it's okay. And you're not alone. And Emily is really just, she's a great advocate for bringing awareness to the subject. So we appreciate her. Definitely. She has a whole, um, I don't know if I want to call it a brand, but it's called Infertile Millennial and she has a YouTube channel and a podcast and her Instagram. She has a bunch of great content and she kind of like makes it light and fun. So you're engaged with her content, but there's a really serious side to it and you can kind of learn as you go. Yeah, I agree. And she's very open and honest and raw and real with everyone on all of her platforms and such. So it's been nice to just see, I don't know, she doesn't really like sugarcoat things and it's just refreshing to see someone like that. So with that being said, Women's History Month, like we said, is this month and we have a lot of great guests coming on. If there's some a topic that you guys want us to touch on in an intro maybe um, before an episode or just maybe something we could look into for further episodes let us know leave us and send us an email at partiesoverpodcast at gmail.com or you can always dm us so we're looking for some we have a few topics we want to cover uh coming up so let us know and with that being said let's get into the episode with emily orlando Okay, guys, so we are back with Emily Orlando. Welcome to Parties Over Podcast. We're so happy to have you. Thank you so much. I'm so happy that you guys took the time to ask me to come on and kind of talk about infertility and all that. 
Yeah, we're definitely excited. Our, I think our listeners have really wanted an episode like this, so we were really glad to find you, and it just feels like the perfect fit. Um, and we would love to share with our listeners like a little bit of your background. Yeah, so um, I don't want to get too much into it just because I don't want to, with everything that we're going to be talking about later, but uh, basically what I do is that I am a an advocate for infertility and IVF and miscarriage. And so I create content that resonates with other people who are dealing with infertility or doing fertility treatments or have experienced miscarriage to basically make them feel less alone. And I also like to create content that also helps educate people who don't understand infertility, but maybe they know someone who's going through it or somebody who's experienced miscarriage because I sort of have a motto that is just because you don't understand somebody's struggle doesn't mean you, it doesn't mean you can have an excuse to lack empathy or compassion for what they're going through. That's kind of what we were talking about when we were introing you prior to this is this episode isn't just for someone who maybe is struggling with infertility or is preparing themselves and you know to have kids it's for the friend that their friend is struggling with infertility and just knowing Mm -hmm. how to support someone going through this and it's really just for anyone to have a different perspective so um, I love the way you described that so what's sorry what was the name of your um we, we didn't know how to refer to it your brand is that what you'd call it or or um yeah I would say it's yeah it's it's a brand or it's also kind of a company. Um, it's Infertile Millennial. So um, I basically took that. I started that name for a podcast and then I, it basically blossomed into an entire brand at this point. So I saw great. that you just came out with your website and everything and it looks, it looks really good. So thank you. Congrats on that. Um, I would love to hear a little bit about kind of when you knew that you wanted to have kids and kind of when you met your husband and you guys decided that you want to start trying? Yeah, so for me, I've always wanted to have kids. That was just something that from as far back as I can remember, it was always a desire of mine. It was always something that I figured in the future would come my way. My husband and I actually met in the sixth grade, (laughs) so we've known each other for a very long time. We didn't actually start dating until we were 16, and but we've been together ever since then. That is so funny. I um I love hearing about people that have been with their partners for such a long time because yeah. I I've also been with my fiance now for a very similar amount of time, and people are always like look at me like I have ten heads, and they're very confused. yeah. So I love mm-hmm. meeting someone that I can relate to. So when did you guys, I know you got married, so you did started dating at 16. When did you guys get married and when did that conversation of kids kind of come into play? Um, so we got married in 2014 and I think we had actually been talking about having kids for a while, but we made the decision to basically not try, not prevent the month of our wedding because we were just like, oh, we'll see what happens. Like, it'll probably take six to 12 months or something to get pregnant. So I think somewhere around nine months of doing that is when we were like, oh, okay, maybe we should actually start trying because this obviously isn't doing anything. So that's when we started doing like the OPKs and 
focusing on what days I'm actually ovulating, trying different things and things like that. Now, I I hope this isn't too, uh, but how old were you when you guys got married? Just because I know age plays such a factor in this and you weren't necessarily yeah. the, I know you weren't the stereotypical age of, of having difficulty having children. Yeah. So we were, um, my husband, so we got married in October of 2014. My husband turned 21 in January of 2015. So we were just about, he was just about to turn 21. I was like 20 and a half or whatever, but still really young. So right. probably at that age, you're not thinking like there's any chance of infertility. Like you're at kind of your prime and you probably hadn't even learned about this kind of stuff yet or like thought, yeah. oh, it could be me because you're just, you're just so young. Mm-hmm, exactly. So now just some of these emotions that were behind when you were in this stage of, of, I don't know, you probably didn't have too much pressure on yourself at being such a young age. And like you said, you were, you guys were trying kind of passively, <laughs> I guess mm-hmm. I would say. So how were your feelings and when did you start to feel like maybe something, when did you seek medical attention? Yeah. So in the beginning, it was just sort of like a whatever, but every month, it was like, oh, darn it, like it didn't work that month. And so as I had said before, that was about nine-ish months in where I'm like, maybe we should take this more seriously if we really, truly want to do this. So I think that's when it started to feel a little bit less fun because you're like, okay, now we got to like time it properly. And then it was about 14 months in of trying that I was like, all right, we are really young, maybe just to be safe we should go check if we need to, I don't know if there's anything else that we can do to help this along because clearly what we've been doing isn't working. So it's pretty standard for couples to wait a year trying naturally before they go and seek help because I think it's like 95% of couples get pregnant who are reproductively healthy within a year and then it's like 99 to 100 in two years. So I just wanted to make sure there wasn't anything we could be doing more of or something we could try and so because it's easier for a male to get tested I actually had my husband go first because I've had regular cycles and no issues my entire life I was just like I don't think let's worry about me later (laughs) because I just knew like everything was pretty solid so we had him go in and get um, an analysis done just to double check and as we said, being young, it's not usually an issue. So I think he actually had to push for it because his doctor was like, you're so young. Like, are you sure you're doing it right? You know what I mean? Like (laughs) questions like that. So, um, yeah, I had him going in December of 2015. Did you wait for his results to come back to find something out before you thought about yourself at all or like going in yourself? I think we did. Um, I actually kind of forgot about his analysis, I think, because I remember one night he sat me down and was like, okay, I got my results back and they don't look very good. And so it turned out that he had severe male factor infertility. So low count, low motility, low morphology, which basically gives us a slim to none chance naturally, although you can try different things, which we did. But um, it makes it pretty hard to conceive naturally. So when we found that out, it was sort of like a relief of, okay, well, now we know why it's not been working, but what can we do? And so I did go to the doctor and, you know, got a little bit of testing done. The only thing I hadn't done was to see a lot of people get uh, tests done to see if their tubes are clear. 
Um, that's one way that women might have infertility and you can get surgery to have them cleared, but I hadn't done that yet because we were so young and we're like, well, I mean, it only takes one. Let's just keep trying. I feel like it, I, I could see what you mean. We're just like the unknown is so scary and you think, oh, we have like a solution. At least now we can create a plan. So at this point you have just discovered that your husband, uh, you believed that there was something that you could do. You had a plan on how you guys were going to get this fixed and you had spoken with your doctors. So from there, what did you, what was your solution? So when we found that out, we were basically given an option to, he could take a medication to see if he could up his count. And we tried that and it, it worked, but it still wasn't good enough. So we basically, I think we technically put everything on hold for a few years. Cause I think at this point we were like 22 and I'm, and in my feelings, I was like, all right, if we're not pregnant by 25, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like then maybe we need to figure something out because again, like we've just felt like we were so young and it's so expensive to move forward with things that I think we were like, well, let's just see what happens and wait a few more years. When you kind of found out that the results from your husband, what were like, what were your kind of thoughts and how did you as a partner kind of make him feel like, oh, it's okay that that this is something that is going on with you and we're going to figure it out together. Yeah. So I think that the number one thing, I mean, it came naturally to me, but I want to express this to people who are going through the same situation is I've never looked at his infertility as just his, like I look at it as though it's ours. And so I know this is never something in a million years that he would choose And so I've never felt like casting blame or anything like that. We're really good at communicating with each other. So we would always check in with each other and ask, like, how are you feeling about this? Is there anything you want to try? Do you want to get started with treatments? And we just always are good at checking in and asking how each other, how we're feeling throughout this process. And so I think that's super important if your partner, if it's one or the other, sometimes it can be both, but if it's one person over the other to make sure that they know that you don't blame them for any of that. I love that. I kind of want to take a minute and just focus on like this stage of that you guys were in. Cause I feel like there's a few different stages we can kind of talk about. And I think that there's, this will apply to people in, you know, each of these different stages. So I think Liz, that was a great question. Uh, how were, I, I want to know about your family. How is it like with your family? I feel like I know some people that struggle with infertility and it's a lot of pressure, you know, people asking you about kids, things like that. Mm-hmm. And I, I know your parents, I don't know how involved they were, but maybe disappointed and, and dealing with things like that. So how was that aspect? So we didn't even tell anybody that we were trying for a very long time because we were so young and no one asked us because we were so young. So it was kind of easy to hide it in a way, but I think it was, around the time where we had tried, we we got his analysis, we tried to double his count and it didn't work is when I, um, I asked my husband, like, are you okay if I open up about this? Because it is, you know, something medical with him. I don't want to just like go blasting it all over the place, but he was fine with it. So I did, I think, open up to either my best friend or my mom first. And typically when you tell people this stuff they're they're like oh you're so young just relax you're so you must be stressed or whatever so I think people didn't take it there 
that seriously with us at first because we're so young or they don't know anyone who's been through that. Um, but I actually didn't tell, I don't think we told his parents or my dad until the year we did IVF. So we didn't tell them for a very long time, but everyone, we got lucky. Everyone was very supportive of us and never blamed anybody or acted weird around us. They just were like, oh, okay. You know, it wasn't, we, I think we were really lucky because I've heard horror stories from other people (laughs) where they don't get that reaction. So thankfully my (laughs) family and his family have been really understanding. If you could say there's like one thing that you wouldn't want someone to say to you, um, do you have like any examples of like, kind of like a don't, this is not a topic that should be brought up or like, you know what I mean? I feel like there's not just one. I feel like (laughs) there's there's so many. Yeah, I have, um, I think, most importantly, I'm sure we'll talk about this later, but uh, people need to understand what toxic positivity is. I didn't even know what it was in the first five years of going through infertility. It wasn't until I think last year I learned what it is. And so it basically means that you're taking someone's situation and minimizing it to um, something they haven't achieved yet or something that can be easily fixed. And so a lot of people will say things that, yes, in theory, they're trying to be supportive and positive, but it actually minimizes their struggle. So you're basically telling them that whatever they're feeling or going through is not a big deal. So I think that would be the most, I don't know, because that one really, it's a big blanket statement, really. Yeah. Sometimes you don't want to hear, like, it's going to be okay. You want to hear, like, this this Mm -hmm. sucks. Like, I'm sorry. Like, it's going to be hard. And and we're going to get there, but sometimes just covering it up is not the best. Yeah, I agree. So at this point, you had, I know you've mentioned a few times that you guys did eventually do IVF. At what point did you decide this was something that you, well, actually, would you mind also giving us a definition of what IVF is for those that don't know? Yeah, so there's actually two different ways you can do IVF. One is where you will go in and you will um, basically try to have the woman, um, I'm trying to think of the best word, uh, create as many follicles in her ovaries as possible. So that she'll be stimulated and they want to create as many mature follicles as possible and then they will take them out of her when they are ready. And uh, so the one way with IVF is you can place all of the healthy eggs in a petri dish and put all the healthy sperm in it and see what happens. Um, We did IVF ICSI where they had to physically inject a sperm into an egg because of the motility aspect and morphology for him. And so, yeah, there's basically, it's just basically like they are uh, in a lab connecting the egg into, or I'm sorry, the sperm into the egg, and then they will transfer that into you later on. I was going to say, I know I've, we've heard, you know, the word, I didn't learn it until I was probably like 20. I know people would talk about it, but I'm like, exactly what is this? I, mm-hmm. I know it's like to help you have a baby, but I don't exactly know. When did you guys decide to, to try IVF? Like what brought you up to that point? Um, well, so we had a meeting, we met with a fertility specialist and he basically said, you are not going to be a candidate for IUI, which is um, where they, uh, that's where like people say the whole turkey baster comment. That is where they take the sperm sample and they just put it in the woman at a specific date when they know she's, as soon as they know she's going to ovulate. 
Um, but we're not candidates for that because we know like his analysis isn't uh, going to work with that. So we were told that is your only option. And um, I think we just kind of, we were going to do it one year and then I chickened out because it is expensive. And I was just, I wasn't ready yet to drop the money on it. Uh, but then the next year, basically our doctor, we sat down with him again and he said, listen, you're not getting any younger and you don't know if his uh, analysis will drop to zero at one point. So he's like, you might as well go do this while you have the chance. Um, and you can even just like freeze your embryos if you want to and wait. But he basically said like, you should, it's now or never, like you're not getting any younger. So that's sort of what pushed us to do it. And how old were you at this point? So how many years had it been in between uh, your first, the first discovery of your husband and then to, to the IVF? Yeah, so we've, got his analysis in 2015. It was 2019 that we did IVF. Okay. Again, I'm sorry to keep asking about. No, no, you're fine. But I'm just thinking about the timeline and stuff. And uh, how was your, how are your feelings at this point? I know a lot of people that I know personally, they have a timeline for themselves, like a strict timeline. Like this is when I want to have kids. This is how many, this is what age I need things, you know, to get done. Uh, How were you feeling at that point? I, I was really nervous to do the process because I had never done it before and I had no idea what to expect from it. But I was also feeling super hopeful at this point because now it felt like, okay, now we have the answer to everything. And everybody that I, this once we knew we were going to do IVF, we started to be a little bit more open with certain family members. So a lot of them would be like, oh, I know someone who did that and they got pregnant right away and you're going to get pregnant. And so we started to feel really, really hopeful at this point. Were you feeling I don't know, the anxiety of like, I feel like maybe because you were younger, you might not have had as much pressure on yourself to meet that strict timeline. Or is there any advice to someone you could give them on how to just ease that? You know, life doesn't necessarily happen the way you have it planned. And I don't know, is there any words of wisdom you can say to ease that anxiety of things that are out of your control? Um, You know, that's really hard because I feel like, however you're feeling is how you're feeling and you can't Mm -hmm. really change how you're feeling. But I just feel like what I've learned from doing IVF is to have a lot of patience with life in general. Cause like, even when you get your uh, plan for IVF, it's never the way they write it out. Things always change. And so I don't, I mean, from what I can tell you is just, don't really have expectations <laughs> because things things change all the time and it is hard but I've, I've started to try to learn to live in the moment more so than worry about the future because basically the way that I've been taught is that the future doesn't exist and it probably doesn't exist in the way that we see it so if we just live in the moment and not have expectations I mean you can have expectations about certain things but it's going to help you mentally to just accept where you are in the moment and work step by step. We say it every episode, but it's so ironic. Every episode we do with someone, it always comes to a similar takeaway to the very last episode we recorded with. We just recorded with someone who uh, she underwent an accident and her life changed and such and that's the exact advice she gave is live for today because the future Mm -hmm. you you don't know it could could look completely different and I you know she was saying she wishes she just would have you know 
and been thankful for the spot she was at. So uh, I think that is great advice. And just, I don't know, for anyone that's potentially thinking of IVF, it's nice to go in with hearing what you should prepare for yourself mentally. So I think that's great. Can you describe a little bit about the IVF process, um, kind of like where you start and what your life kind of turns into? Yeah. So there are two different IVF processes. One is a fresh transfer, which according to my doctor, they like to always do first. Um, So a fresh transfer means you are transferring fresh embryos. They were never frozen. So your fresh transfer, um, and this will be the same for everybody who starts their very first IVF cycle, is you will basically go in and have a meeting. They'll come up with a plan. And at least at my facility, we go on a month of birth control so that they can regulate your cycle. And that gives them time if you do have to get a uh, any type of surgery. So I did have to get surgery. And I guess this is very common. Um, but when they went in and just did my, you know, you'll do your standard blood work and an ultrasound just to get an idea of what your body looks like. And on my ultrasound, they were like, oh, it looks like you have a little bit of scar tissue. So we, we want to do a surgery called a hysteroscopy. Uh, and so they put you under and then they'll just go in with a little camera. And if there's anything in there that would prevent an embryo from implanting, they'll remove it. So it's kind of like starting with a fresh canvas. So a lot of people actually do this surgery. Um, so you'll do that surgery. And I believe you'll have another cycle of your period before you start again, if I'm remembering correctly. And then at that point, you'll do blood tests like every other day. You'll start injections, which can be two to three times a day for a week and a half, maybe two weeks. Then there'll be a week where you do internal ultrasounds. So that's where they can see how many follicles you're getting. And at some point, they'll determine, okay, your follicles are a great size and shape and you have a ton, so you're you're going to do a trigger injection, which basically is an injection that releases the follicles so that they can go in and do a surgery to collect them. So you'll do a trigger shot, and then about like 72 hours later, you'll have surgery. Your trigger shot can be any time of the day, like 3 a.m. You'll have to get up and do it, whatever. I was really lucky that mine was at 11 o'clock at night, so I didn't have to wake up. Um, But you'll go in, you'll have the surgery, they'll remove the eggs from you, and then they'll let you know the next day how many were mature. They will, that's when they'll do the ICSI part, so they'll put the sperm in with the egg, and then they will wait to see how many fertilized, and then they'll wait three to five days, and they'll grow the embryos and see how many are left at the end to transfer. So, um... I was really lucky I got 23 eggs out and then I think 20 of them were mature and then 15 fertilized and then we were left with nine really great embryos. So at that point you can decide do you want to transfer one or two and we chose two and then you'll do the transfer. So that's basically what a fresh is. A frozen is none of the injections to stimulate the ovaries. You're just going to do injections if you have like an implantation protocol or whatever, but it's a lot easier than a fresh. And how long is this this going on for? How many weeks or, or so? Um, they say six weeks, but I think mine, I started 
taking their the birth control from them in September of 2019. I did my transfer in at that like the weekend before Thanksgiving in 2019. So it was almost it was a full two months for sure. So I think mine was more like eight weeks. Wow. I did have one thing to say. The thought of I feel like these are certain things that people don't think about with women versus men is people that have to work during things like this, like women that are going mm-hmm. to work. And I think of women that have children and have to pump at work and all these things that you maybe they seem small, like, you know, people that don't have to go through them think about it. And they, but I mean, I can't imagine like giving myself a shot in the middle of my work day and like yeah. having to check the time and, and make sure I'm not missing it. Cause everything's very timely, like you said. So mm-hmm. I don't know. It's just such a, it's just, it's crazy to think of what people have to go through. Yeah, I, I like to say, and I think a lot of people will agree with me, but fertility treatments are like having a second job because <laughs> you're just imagine. bound to that schedule and your life is focused on that for like six to eight weeks. Also, I'm thinking about the effects that it's having on your body, like the surgeries, and then mm-hmm. also like going on birth control, getting off birth control, your hormones must be like just going crazy. Like how do you even remember who you are at that point? Right. And on top of that, you're um, taking a bunch of medication too. So they're also giving you progesterone and estrogen. And I was on like an estrogen patch and an estrogen supplement at one point. And I'm like, I did. I remember being like ravenously hungry at one point. <laughs> like it just That's messes your crying. body up. Right. Not to yeah. the time it takes, but like just the mental and emotional toll and physical toll. Like that's, that's mm-hmm. a lot. Um, I also did want to ask, how was this on your relationship? How was it like navigating? Did it bring you closer together? Was it, was it difficult to navigate? I'm sure there was difficulties, but. You know, I think that it made us so much closer. I've always said that the, um, I never thought that the embryo transfer would be romantic or um, what's the word? There's a better word. I can't think of it, but I, I never thought the transfer would be magical by any means. And we both say like, it was just such a beautiful process to watch like your embryos be in, well, not implanted, but transferred in and you're together. And it sounds so weird because you're in an office, like with your legs spread open <laughs> and you're like practically upside down. But it, it, it honestly, I think was one of the best moments that we shared together and we've done it twice. <laughs> so I think it brought us closer, just, I don't know, seeing each other, especially like him seeing me go through everything. And I, I personally think it brought us closer. I know Liz kind of touched on it earlier, but are there tips you could just give someone that maybe you could give us some tips on how you could be as a partner to someone or how you would like to be, you know, uh, supported in that? Like maybe things that your husband was doing for you, like throughout the the shots and everything, the injections. Yeah. I mean, he was really great. He actually had to help me with uh, my progesterone and oil shots because they're given on your upper back, like the hip. And so I can't do that for myself. Um, So he was always really good about being as gentle as possible and talking me through it. Um, I just think communicating to each other, gentle with each other through anything, you know, like there were times where I did not feel well at all. And he was just always right there to help me through all of that, just whatever I needed. Like there was one day where I was so nauseated from the antibiotics I was on 
And so he was like, well, like, do you, what can I do? And so he went out and got me like, you know, whatever I needed, like just, he was always there. And I feel like that's really important to just listen to your partner's needs during that time and just give them whatever you can within reason. (laughs) So what was the like kind of after math of your first IVF process? Like after it's complete, you guys have a certain amount of days that you're just kind of waiting to find mm-hmm. out if it if it caught. Is that the right term for that? Yeah. So the first one, um, I didn't. It was that was really hard to like sit there and wait. It's different than when you're just trying and you're like, oh, maybe we're pregnant. But this time, you know, like there are embryos in there and they might have taken. Um, so I was really bad about uh, during the first cycle, and I tested every single day from like day three because I was so anxious and I just thought oh it has to take because we put two in so I'm like at least one of them has to take so I tested every single day and and I think you have to wait 10 days post cycle to get a blood draw so I think it was nine days post and it was still negative and I'm like this totally didn't work and so when I went in to get my blood drawn I told my nurse like I was bad and I tested because they tell you don't do it (laughs) and she's and I said have you ever seen someone be positive with a blood test, even though their test was negative, and she's like, it's not very common. So I kind of knew that it was it hadn't taken just because I hadn't seen a positive, and then they do call you later on and give you the news over the phone. I feel like that's, I know they say not to, but at least maybe it kind of like eases your expectations rather than just waiting those 10 days, and then, you know what I mean, like each time? Yeah, I, I think it drove me crazy, though, because then... Every single day, because the second round, I was like, okay, I'm not testing unless I have a crazy physical symptom that I cannot deny. And so that time around, I actually did get pregnant and I did have crazy symptoms that I'm like, I just got to test because I know that this took and it was positive. Um, and I, I went in early for a blood test just because I had a couple things happening that they were like, oh, we got to make sure that nothing crazy bad is happening. So that one was confirmed with the blood test early. Okay, so you've done it both ways. So I could see that yeah. too, though, because testing it so often, you're kind of like disappointing yourself like every time as opposed to like just the once maybe. So that does, but I could mm-hmm. see, I know a lot of people that would definitely take it every day because they just yeah. get- help themselves but so how are your feelings when that first one didn't take so that one was really difficult because no one prepares you even when you're going through IVF the nurses no one talks about well what happens if it fails which I feel like is a big problem I think they need to talk about that more with people because I didn't realize that uh what I was feeling was grief I just thought that I was upset about something And it turns out like I was grieving the loss of not only everything that I worked so hard for, but then like I lost those embryos. That's the way that I look at it. A lot of women feel the same way. And if you feel like it's a loss, then it's a loss and there's no changing your mind basically. So I didn't actually properly grieve that, uh, the first IVF cycle until after I grieved, uh, the second cycle because I didn't realize it was a loss. So how long after the first cycle did you decide to try it again? Um, right away. Right away? <laughs> I didn't think I would want to, but I, I don't know. I had. I think I was more excited because they do say a frozen transfer is has a higher chance of taking. I'm not sure why, but they've just found that it does. 
And they were going to put me on an implantation protocol because even my doctor was like, you guys are so young. I don't know why this didn't take. Your embryos were graded really nicely. I have no idea. Maybe we just need to like push the implantation factor of it or whatever. So I think I had a lot of hope again to just, all right, let's get started. So it was immediately after. And you're kind of already like in the process, like you've already adjusted your life to doing it. Also, I wanted to touch on this before. Sorry, I'm on a tangent, but the fact that you have to take birth control to do IVF is so ironic. It's weird. It's so weird. Not everyone does, um, but my clinic, it's standard. That is so funny. Just what what an odd concept. Okay, so you guys decide to do IVF again. And so this is another, is this another full six to eight weeks of this or is this process shorter? So this one should have been shorter um, for most people, but I had a roller coaster of a time. There just was weird things happening with my body the second time around. Um, It should have been, I think, six weeks because, again, they wanted me on birth control. So I think that factors into the six weeks. And, again, they knew I had to get surgery from what we've known before. And so I think... I think I would have had my cycle in December and then my transfer was supposed to be in February, like early February. So super quick. And, but when we did the hysteroscopy, they wanted to do a biopsy of my lining to make sure there wasn't anything else going on because they were so concerned about why it didn't take. And so when they did this, they discovered that I actually had inflammation of the lining, which I guess makes it a little bit more difficult for an embryo to attach or to, I don't know. They said they don't have a lot of research about if it would cause a miscarriage, but it does make it harder to implant. So at this point, they're like, okay, let's put you on antibiotics and we're going to do another surgery. And so I was like, okay, whatever. Like, I'm sure whatever they're planning is going to work. And so they had me do another surgery and they did the biopsy and it came back and it was still bad. And they were like, all right, let's try a different antibiotic and we'll try it for a little bit longer. Like, okay. So I do the surgery again, two weeks. So each of these are like two weeks apart to give time to heal. And then the third surgery after the biopsy, nothing had changed. So they're like, all right, you've had, you've been on antibiotics for like five weeks now. You have to get off them. Let's just move forward with the transfer. So it took a lot of extra time and nothing changed. So it should have been a lot quicker, but it ended up taking me almost three months till my actual transfer. Wow. Now, I just want to touch on the fact of what your body has now, after two IVF cycles, has undergone during this process. And I'm sure how taxing it is on your emotional, like we've said, emotional health, mental health, physical health. You've now undergone three surgeries. Is that correct at this point? So four hysteroscopies in total, three during my second cycle. Okay, so four surgeries, yeah. two bouts of antibiotics, I believe, and or... or oh, so much more, because you have to go on antibiotics before each surgery, too. Oh, okay. So, because um, they want to make sure you don't get an infection from the surgery, so you're on those plus the others. Um, and the ones that I was on one of the rounds made me so, so sick, like bad migraines every day, didn't have an appetite, just like, I think that was worse than all the other procedures <laughs> was wow. how sick I felt on the antibiotics. But 
I just want to highlight this for someone that, and not to mention your hormones are, I'm sure, all over the place. And mm-hmm. like you said, you want to eat everything, not to mention mm-hmm. like you're this is already an emotional process to begin with. You certainly don't need help with like hormones adding to it. So I just yeah. want to highlight this for someone that maybe has, like I said, is is undergoing it or has a friend that's doing it. And just knowing that it is like have empathy for someone who is going through this because it is certainly does not sound easy by any means of the sorts. And just, I don't know, I don't just, I have so much respect for people that have done it because they do not a lot of the people too that I've seen do this they're still carrying on with their lives and stuff I feel like I'd be like sorry I'm checked out for you know three months can't can't go to this family party I'm on IVF can't do that yeah it's really intense like I said the emotional toll of it between and was your family aware at this point that you were doing your second round oh yes so after our first cycle failed I was having a really hard time with it. And um, I first just wrote out how I was feeling and what we had experienced in my notes app on my phone. And then I was like, oh my God, that felt really good. And I had, I don't think I had mentioned, but um, during my first process, I was filming everything because I was like, oh, this will be a really good pregnancy announcement. You know what I mean? Like, let's make a video and like, that'll be my pregnancy announcement. When it failed, I was like, well, okay, obviously this isn't going to be a pregnancy announcement. So I was like, what if I made it, used all this footage and made it into like, okay, this failed and we're struggling with this. And so I asked my husband, I was like, how would you feel if I shared this on Instagram and on Facebook? Cause like all of our families on Facebook, a lot of people who didn't know, and he didn't even bat an eye. So I decided to share this and so at that point everybody knew we were going through our second cycle like everybody on Instagram everybody on Facebook knew so that was so helpful to have the support the second time around because it definitely is harder to want to go through it again when you don't have the support that's what I was just going to ask like now you've done it both ways you know you've done it more privately and then more Mm -hmm. openly and I was going to ask which you know how you felt on having done it both ways like if you had you know, regretted everyone knowing or, but that's awesome that you had that support and just, I'm sure those words of encouragement and honestly, just the awareness that you're bringing to people to know that they're not alone in that is really amazing. Also, I did also want to highlight your talking with your husband and just asking his permission on everything. I feel like you have done a great job from what you've told us on just being very respectful of I mean, like you said, it is medical, like you can't, Mm -hmm. you know, really respecting your partner in this process. And I love that you said it was a two, it was your, your infertility together, not necessarily just, you know, one or the other. I think that's really important to highlight because I know it's something that partners talk about. We've talked about it prior, like we have, we're not trying to have kids and stuff. And we've talked about it before. And I, I could see it being very difficult to navigate. So actually you just answered our question for us so we were talking about when you started to get into the infertility space so was that really when you noticed like that there was interest in this topic of sharing yeah I did not expect um the amount of people who reached out to me after that post like people who I thought oh she got pregnant so easily because she doesn't, you know, they don't share their stories, but then come to find out, she's like, nope, I, I struggled with this too. So like, so, I mean, 
so many people flooded my messages or whatever, just telling me their stories. And then I realized like, okay, there are a lot of people who are going through this. And I think when it started, I'm like, oh, okay, people are interested in our journey. Like, I'll just start sharing this. Like, clearly there's an interest. And then I realized like, okay, not only is me sharing my journey helpful, but like, what if I started creating more specific content to not only help other people, but to educate? Because my mom even said like, even though I was going through it and talking to her every day, when she saw the video, she was like, okay, I didn't realize like how everything worked and what you went through. And so she was like, I think it's good that you share these things because I think a lot of people think it's like, oh, you just go into the doctor's office, do a procedure and you're done. And it's not like that at all. You probably wish that like early on when you're maybe starting your first IVF process that you had someone maybe that you knew that was posting this type of content that you felt like, oh, they're sharing it. I could always reach out to her and talk to her. And then you kind of took it into your own hands and made this whole like brand where you can do that for other people. So someone else might be going through it right now is kind of searching it on the internet and then can relate to you, which is so nice, I think. Yeah, that's definitely the goal is like, all right, I'm, I I don't have any problem talking about it in front of other people anymore. So anytime someone has a question or whatever, like I'm always like, yeah, I'll tell you my experience and, you know, help you out in any way I can, you know. I'll sit on a podcast with you for an hour and be an open book. (laughs) Yeah. Very grateful for. I feel like we've also now left everyone on a cliffhanger, but I did have one other question. We've just told them they've done IVF. Okay, so you've done your second round of IVF and you did say that one was positive. So can you walk us through what happened from there? Yeah, so I um, had just the weirdest symptoms. I've never been pregnant before, but you know how people say like, when you're pregnant, you'll know. And I was like, okay, whatever. But it actually truly is like just weird. Like, I think the biggest thing was I started cramping really bad, like the worst cramps I've ever had only five days after my transfer. And I was concerned that something was actually wrong. So I asked my husband to call the doctor because I was like, I don't know, like, this is weird. I shouldn't be having, I thought I was gonna start my period. Like I that's the way it felt. And then I started spotting a little bit and I was like, I think I'm starting my period yet. I'm on all these medications. How can I be starting? And I was very concerned. So they actually were like, okay, you should come in for a blood test just to be sure nothing's wrong or whatever. But I took a test the next morning because I just could not wait. And it was very positive, which tells me it probably took right away. Like typically pregnancy tests take a little bit to show up. So the fact that it was so dark. So I went in for a blood test the next day. My numbers were really, really good. So I was like, oh, it's twins because we put two in again. (laughs) And then um, I I kept testing every day just to see the line get darker for peace of mind. And I was getting blood tests every 48 hours because they want to make sure that your numbers are doubling. So the first 48 hours, they hadn't quite doubled, but they said that's totally in the realm of normal Um, sometimes people don't double every 48 hours. It might be every 55, like it's, it's totally fine. And then three days later, I went in for another blood test and I had a really bad gut feeling. I don't know what it was. I just woke up the next day. I was like, I think it's going to be bad, but I was trying to stay positive and not worry too much. And so I went and did a blood test. They called, they took a lot longer to call me which was my first red flag because they were calling me every day at like noon. So I knew that like, I don't know, something is up. They're not calling me. It's like four o'clock now and they haven't called me and I'm worried. 
And I, like as soon, the thing is like with nurses, you can always tell when they're going to deliver good or bad news. And so as soon as I picked up, she told me like, yeah, your numbers have dropped by half, which is not a good sign. But they had me stay on my medication just in case like maybe it was one and the other one's still there, whatever. So I think at that moment is when we both were like, all right, I like prepare to have a miscarriage because this doesn't sound good. And so I went in 48 hours later and then they had dropped again by half. So at that point they're like, okay, you have to stop medication. And I'm sorry if you can hear my dogs, they're outside my door. Um, Stop your medication and um, just kind of wait to pass everything naturally. And so that's what I had to do is just wait every day until I miscarried. And so I did miscarry naturally at home. I didn't have to get surgery, thankfully. But that's like a whole other traumatizing experience, I feel like. I was going to say, you've already gone through this like two times and like finally you get to the point and yeah I just feel like I just want to say like I'm sorry that you had to go through all that just to get to that point um is that kind of like I know when I hear about IVF like you said earlier like you always hear of the person becoming pregnant like are there any stats of how common it is to not get pregnant after IVF you know I'm not really sure um from a lot of people Um, And I'm not a doctor, so I can't say this is like true, but I've heard a lot of people say that your first IVF round is almost, almost like a trial because they don't really know what else to do for you or what protocols you should be on unless there's this something medically that they're like, oh, for sure we have to do this with you. But if you're young and healthy and it seems like there's only one thing wrong or something easy to fix, then I think they assume you'll be pregnant the first round, but some people have said kind of like a trial run to see what you might need for the second time. But I think once the second one fails, um, that's when it's like, all right, let's see what else we can try. But at, after the third, I think is where it kind of falls off. And it's, but I've heard either three rounds or six, so I'm not sure like which one, but I'm only going to be doing three, but some people try and try and try until, you know, it takes or they give up or whatever. What an expensive trial. Like that is, I feel like the research that is, or what little research there is on on why infertility, you know, why some people can and can't get pregnant. I personally don't know much about it. I just, I don't, I haven't really heard anyone that is having difficulty getting pregnant knowing exactly why and stuff. So it's Mm -hmm. just such an interesting, I feel like, un- research topic. And I know you've talked about this before, so I did just want to touch on it for people that are unaware. Uh, I'm sure you've been asked this a lot. Adoption, I know you've mentioned, was significantly more expensive than IVF. Is that correct? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, When we were looking into what we wanted to do, we did look into adoption versus IVF. And at least where we are, it's like 30 to 50 grand for adoption. And there's no coverage of that. Like insurance isn't going to cover it. And it's also not a guarantee because um, I think I was looking into it. I don't know. They can back out whenever they want. Like, it's just never a guarantee. And it can take years and years and years, too. So when we looked at our insurance coverage, they covered 80%. And so I'm like, oh, heck, yeah. Like, that's way cheaper, so much more affordable. And we desire to have our own biological children. So therefore, it seemed like the right choice for us. I did just want to also highlight that I know there's times where people can be very judgmental on the subject, but Mm -hmm. I'm sure I'm, I'm sure I'm speaking 
in your terms, I'm sure you would just say to someone that it's everyone's own journeys and you can't, yeah. you know, I, I just can't imagine judging someone for what they want to do with their family. So I did just mm-hmm. want to highlight that for anyone that just, again, is lacking empathy in the subject and um, knowing that it's not an easy answer. It's not like you can just adopt a child. It's it's a long no. process, legal yeah. battle, expensive. I know that's also a very un talked about topic and uh but I did also one thing I wanted to touch on is while you're creating this platform of people and a community with infertility is this giving you any uh you know peace and purpose in what you're going through I I definitely think so I have had so many people reach out and just say thank you which is amazing I've had people reach out and say I'm not struggling with infertility but you have definitely opened my eyes and given me perspectives that I never knew that I had I've had men reach out to me and say thank you for talking about male factor infertility I've gotten some nasty DMs (laughs) before but which is just like okay um Obviously, some people just don't understand it or don't agree with what I'm saying about certain things, but I think I don't even it's, know how someone could be mean. I don't even get it. What is there to be mean about? I either it's someone who is just trolling and doesn't has not been through it. But I, I mean, I've even gotten ones about like when I, I shared a, a, a TikTok about uh, adoption, about how people should stop putting the responsibility of adoption on someone just because they struggle. And someone took that as though I was saying negative things about adoption. And I was like, I'd never said anything bad. What I said was stop being a hypocrite. Don't tell someone to adopt if you are not willing to do it too. Is that's what a great I, point. Yeah, that's, that's a great what point. I was saying. But she took it a whole other like football field away. I don't know. It's a really delicate topic. And so people are very opinionated on it especially people who've never been through it for some reason, they know it all. (laughs) So it's just, I don't know. I I like sharing content, but it definitely takes a toll. Just the amount of voices that come through and the opinions of some people can be, can be pretty cruel for sure. My advice would be to anyone listening, just have grace and compassion. And Mm -hmm. I just, I can't imagine. We know that you mentioned that you're going to be doing IVF a third time. Um, have you started that yet? And kind of what is the time frame between the, the last time and this time? Yeah, so I have not started it yet. Um, I was going to wait until April, but I think I'm feeling like I want to just get some questions answered in March. I have not talked to my doctor since before miscarrying. I was only talking to nurses at that point, so... I just needed to mentally prepare myself to speak with him because I know he's going to talk about it. Um, but I, yeah, I have a lot of questions about what we can try again. So, um, yeah, if I try in March or April, that will have been an entire year since I miscarried. So I took a long time to, I didn't think I would want to do it again. And then I, I did counseling and I'm still doing counseling, but I started to cope with it, move through all that grief. And I finally am at a place where I feel ready to try again. So I'm hoping I'd like to do a third cycle in May or June. Um, Our facility is about an hour and a half away from us. So I prefer to do it when it's the weather's nicer because we did it during the winter at one point and it was so horrible praying that it wouldn't snow every day. 
and that we would have to like, you know, I just didn't want to be stressed out. So this time I'm like, let's just wait till summertime and we don't have to worry about bad weather. I think really just our last things that we kind of want to just touch on is just the um, how the emotional side of things. So how could someone be a good friend to someone going through this? What, you know, what can they say or not say, or how can they be there for, for someone going through something? So number one, I think communication is key. So if you are suffering from infertility, you're not going to be able to get the support that you need if you don't verbalize that. If they don't know you're going through it, obviously, So opening up, finding somebody that you're comfortable and who you know is supportive. I've learned that it's important to set boundaries. So if you have a friend who is struggling with infertility, that friend might say, hey, I love you. You're a really great friend, but I can't go to your baby shower. And accepting that that's their boundary, it has nothing to do with you. It has nothing to do with your friendship. Knowing that that's what's best for their mental health, like don't feel like they're being selfish. They're just trying to work through what they're going through. And I think having an understanding for what their boundaries are is really important. Um, telling your friend what you don't want to talk about. So if if you have a friend who keeps telling you about everybody who's pregnant, just be like, hey, this does not help me. Can we not talk about other people's pregnancies? And just leave it at that. If your friend is struggling obviously follow their boundaries. Like I said, never use toxic positivity. Educate yourself what that is. That can be applied across everybody's life, not just someone struggling with infertility. Never, you know, taking someone else's experience and comparing it to theirs, saying, oh, I know a friend who did IVF and she got pregnant right away. You'll be fine. Never saying things like that. Um, Never giving advice if you're not specialized or you haven't been through it yourself or if it's unsolicited at all, just refrain from that. Like I heard this essential oil works great or something. Yes. Oh my God. Yeah. I can't even tell you. Like just maybe don't give advice on something Have you don't. Have you tried a raw vegan whatever mm-hmm. diet or something? I feel like I, I feel like I've heard people say that to someone and I'm like, please stop. <laughs> right. Yeah. The person that's going through it has, is going to the doctors, has all the research. They're looking everything up yeah. too. Exactly. They have a fertility specialist for a reason. (laughs) Another thing you can do as a friend is if you know your uh, friend is going through fertility treatments to check in on their journey as much as possible, especially on the important days like their transfer day. Just like I'm thinking of you, wishing you luck. I hope this works out. Just nice thoughts like that. Sending encouraging words of support is always great, especially when there's days when it's just like, oh my God, this is so hard. I don't know how I'm going to get through this. Just randomly sending them words or things like that and asking them how can they better support you is probably the best thing you can do. That's a great advice. I know I watched one of your videos and I know you had talked about how you had created this nursery and you decided to turn it into a space that you actually really loved. Like your, I think you called it like your wellness space. And I think that I loved that. I love that you, I don't know, took something that you could have like really you know, just not wanted to be in the room. And now you're like, it's my favorite room in the house. Like, yeah, I, exactly. I don't know. I think that's it, just great words of wisdom to anyone who's listening and has something maybe similar that they've envisioned for a certain place in their life and turning it into something that you can use now and utilize. We will definitely be following along in these upcoming months to see your updates uh, on your Instagram and everything. And probably our listeners are 
that are going to be so invested in your story now. And I think they're going to want to follow along as well. So if you can let them know where they can find you. Yeah. So um, I have two separate entities, I guess. Um, Emily Orlando, E-M-I-L-Y-Y Orlando is my Instagram and my TikTok handle. And so I do share a lot of personal stuff on there, but I also, Infertile Millennial is my podcast. It's my website, my blog. I do tons of blog posts. I'm starting that. Emily, honestly, thank you so much for being so transparent about your process. I think you are doing a lot of good in the world and you are really helping people. So uh, we're very appreciative. I like that you, your reels and your TikTok, it just kind of makes it easy for people who aren't like aware of the topic or know someone that's going through it. Like I had not learned about this topic before and I was so interested in your videos and I'm just like you just made light of it and kind of made it fun and interesting to follow along so I think it's a great way for somebody to get more information thank you I really appreciate you guys having me on too because I just feel like the more we can spread a little bit more awareness and erase the stigma of it is really great I I know I'm very appreciative I'm getting married soon and I know it's just something that a lot of my friends are getting married soon I say married because I know that that's when they will want to try and I just am yeah. glad that I, I follow someone like you and can educate whether it's something I struggle with someday or my friends struggle with. I feel like I will be much more equipped to be a good person to lean on in that process. So yeah, thank you very much. I also don't know why I teared up while I was talking to you. I literally could have almost just started crying. <laughs> I can't. I don't know how I do podcasts. I'm too emotional for this. Stuff. <laughs> only cried a couple times on I here. Have, I have to retire. This is too much for me. <laughs> <laughs> Well, thank you, and uh, thank your husband for us for you oh, know of course. being so great because I know you are so uh, great with him that we wouldn't get to have you if if uh, he wasn't okay with sharing his life. So, 